as a country, we're very fortunate that despite our immigration system, founders still often want to come here, but not always, right? Um, I mean, you can even see it with international students. Uh, the U.S. is using its like market share of attracting international students in the world. More more people from India are going to Canada, for example. So we still have like a million plus, and it's growing, but. Like I love America and I want it to succeed and to continue succeeding and be more deliberate about taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. Like there's such low hanging fruit, create a startup visa. Oh my God. You know, um, that, that's like, that would be amazing or yeah. speed up processing for international entrepreneurial. I'm such a fan of it, but my clients have not gotten decisions in their cases for two years. You're listening to Foreign Founders, where we tell stories of immigrant and international founders who are working tirelessly to shape the future. We share stories of their upbringing, culture, and background, and explore the companies and products they're building. We want to highlight these founders because these are stories that are often not told. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to another episode of Foreign Founders. Many of our listeners have written in to ask about wanting to cover immigration issues for entrepreneurs and founders. And today we have a really special guest and friend of the pod, Sophie Alcorn. Sophie is the founder and CEO of Alcorn Immigration Law in Silicon Valley and a top U.S. immigration attorney. She and her team supports international founders and global talent to obtain U.S. visas and green cards. She is also a TechCrunch contributor for their immigration column, a host of the Sophie Alcorn podcast, and just last week released and published her new book, Ask Sophie, The Founder's Guide to Visas and Green Cards. I'm really grateful to have her on the show to simplify the U.S. immigration system. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. Thank you, Andy. It is so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And hello to everybody listening. It's fun to be able to be a guest. I normally have to be the host. So it, I like doing this. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. And just quickly, I saw that you just crossed over 100 episodes on your podcast too. So congratulations. So many big wins in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Um, well, I would love to start out as I do with any other episode. What's your background and your, your story? I would love to hear that. So my background is I was born in Southern California to an immigration lawyer and an immigrant from Germany. My dad was my mom's immigration lawyer. Uh, back in the day when he was first starting out with his immigration law firm in Los Angeles. And I grew up <clears throat> having him, you know, regale me with the stories of beating the impossible odds to help people from all over the world live legally and work legally in the United States. And I really wanted to, you know, differentiate and have my own identity and try my own thing. Um, but I just kept being pulled back to immigration law time and time again, you know, whatever I would set out for myself. Well, I want to be a lawyer, but I don't have to do immigration, but I want to help people from all over the world who are trying to make the world a better place and who want to create a better future for their children and who are trying hard to do the right thing. Um, 
And, you know, maybe one day I want to change the laws, but I want to help individual people first. So I understand the system. And so just everything kept leading me back. Um, He passed away eight years ago now, or I think maybe nine. And I am coming up on the eight year anniversary of founding my law firm, Alcorn Immigration Law in Silicon Valley. And so our team helps thousands of people a year get U.S. visas and green cards to live and work legally in the U.S. And the particular niche we've been able to carve out for ourselves because of my passion for entrepreneurship and just everything that uh, entrepreneurs and startup founders represent of like, wow, business is a canvas to turn the world into your art and like Mm -hmm. money, amazing lagging indicator, but like you're making the world a better place through what you're creating. So I'm so inspired by that. And so we built our, our niche and our expertise around helping founders from anywhere in the world uh, find ways to legally work and live and get visas and green cards in the States. And it's been such a rewarding journey. You get to see people start things from scratch. As an immigration lawyer, seeing their journeys really early on as founders, building these lasting impact. It's really cool. It's so inspiring because founders are literally taking, are are conjuring up something out of technically nothing, right? Like it was a glimmer of an idea. It was a feeling that something needed to be different and they can see it. And even if the world doesn't understand yet, Mm -hmm. uh, they are going to reshape the world around them to their image so that it's in their liking and solves their problem. And it's so inspiring. And I get to see founders at a really early stage, like, you know, before they've ever coded their first lines of, of code on this, whatever their, their ID they're noodling on. Right. Because they might not be allowed to start working on it yet because of immigration or IP or whatever. Um, So I often get to talk to them you know, before any investor has, has been willing to listen. Um, and so it's just so inspiring. All my clients over these last seven, eight years since I started the firm and seeing what they're building and seeing what they've created and the, the lives they've changed and the technologies, it's just amazing. And, and I'm a, uh, I mean, like I, I use tons of enterprise SaaS, right? Not the sexiest thing, but I, I love seeing those products come to life. And I also have so many moving stories of like, we save the lives of children with this pediatric neuroscience cure that we're implementing through our technology. Just like, oh my God, like that's amazing. Um, or like flying suits. I don't know for all the Tony Stark fans out there. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's fun to watch the waves. Like, like yeah. just sensing um, like, oh, like Gen AI before it became cool. Like I was helping people in that, right? And then to like watch it blow up. So it's really fun to see all of that. Well, totally cover what you said earlier about what you can and can't do when you're these founders are starting out. Mm-hmm. But you totally skipped a really like fascinating part of your background when you're age 15 and helping your dad write a legal brief. I would love to hear that story. (laughs) Sure. So it was my summer job. I had just finished my, I think my sophomore year in high school. 
And mm-hmm. I was like his file clerk slash part-time receptionist slash doing whatever. Like people would call on the like, so it sounds so antiquated now because my <laughs> clients don't ever want to talk to a human in real life if they can avoid it. But back then you had to call an office for directions and I had to look at a map and try to imagine where the person was and which exit they should take off the freeway. And I would like navigate people to the wrong places sometimes, which was very embarrassing and they would miss their appointments. Oh, but. No launch and iterate. Um, But one of the tasks that my dad assigned me to that summer, because he, um, and and we're focused now solely on business immigration and um, growing companies and founders. Um, But, you know, I would love to be able to help everybody if I could. His firm did all types of immigration. So like deportation, Mm -hmm. defense, asylum, humanitarian. um, And we had this client who called us and he was in jail. He kept calling collect. He, w- he wasn't even our client. He was asking us for help. And mm-hmm. he had a very thick Cuban accent and nobody in our firm could understand him. And I didn't even speak Spanish, but somehow I was the only person who could understand what he was saying. So I got stuck on all these phone calls with him because my dad was trying to figure out how we could help him. And basically, uh, this gentleman was being held um, against the law in immigration detention and nobody was willing to help him. And he was just stuck there indefinitely in immigration jail. And what had happened was, um, yes, he had committed a crime. Yes, he had a conviction, Um, yeah, he had committed manslaughter, but he served his sentence and he was discharged from his federal prison sentence. And, uh, the immigration officials, um, this was even before 9-11. So it was the INS, you know, they picked him up, they arrested him and they, they took him out of the the prison and they put him into immigration jail. And he was just sitting there rotting with no lawyer and nobody to help him. And the thing was, we didn't have diplomatic relations with Cuba at the time. So he couldn't be deported and he wasn't being released. And so my dad knew the solution. He said, we have to do a petition for a writ of habeas corpus and we have to sue the government in federal court. And we have to try to get him released. And so my dad took on this case pro bono. I was 15. I had never taken a law class. And I was like copying and pasting legal briefs and trying to write legal arguments and do case citations. And he did the case for free. And he filed my brief in court. And the federal district judge ended up declaring that, yes, this incarceration was in violation of his constitutional rights. It was an illegal detention. And he granted the the habeas and the gentleman got released and he was able to live a life of freedom after he served his sentence. So wow. it was an insane story. I was so in over my head. I was like, Dad, <laughs> you have to know what to do. He's like, you figure it out. You do it. This yeah. man needs help. I'm like, okay, Dad. He was a Marine. He was very tough. <laughs> like, okay. Help. Literally learning on the job. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. There's some wonderful saying or quote and, and probably somebody very famous said it, but it's essentially like, look, you'll figure out how to build your wings after you jump off the cliff. Like, okay. So that's founder life, right? <laughs> that is founder life. Exactly. It's like, 
all these things, you're just figuring it out as you go. Also, copy and paste. Like, that's so many questions, but we don't have to really. Copying and pasting like there. legal arguments, case law. I was looking at, we had like a physical law library of books, and every month they would mail new pages. And I would have to correctly remove the old pages and insert the new pages. And sometimes I couldn't remember if I had thrown out the incorrect pages or not. It was such a cluster. (laughs) Technology is so amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, that's a, that's an incredible story. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, um, that's, you know, I was doing a bunch of research on your background and those were some moments and stories that I thought like really tied into your mission of like, I want everyone to have the chance to do well and to change. Thank you, Andy. Like, what if we just lived in a world where every child could self-actualize and nobody or nothing was like stopping them from reaching their potential? It'd be so amazing. You know, I have kids and I often think like, well, my kids are born in America. We're very fortunate. But if I, if they were immigrant, if they wanted to move to the United States and I had to tell them, oh, honey, Yes, you could get a PhD, but wouldn't it be better to go to a photo shoot and get your Tinder profile updated? Like, what a horrible, you know, system we live in, right? Like, if you're trying to do molecular material science engineering or something, like, why shouldn't that path be free and open to you? Like, you know, people are doing all sorts of crazy things, like like drug discovery and microgravity and orbit, right? Because like that could cure cancer or something. And so if we just lived in a world where everybody could just go wherever they needed to go to do their thing, that's like their their life's work, whatever that thing is in their heart, where they feel like that's what they're supposed to do on earth in this lifetime, the world would be mm-hmm. an amazing place. So <laughs> that's what I want to do. That, that goes into the next part of like, okay, we want everyone to be able to self-actualize. And one of the ways that they can do it is really understand how to navigate around the complexity of immigration. So mm-hmm. what I would love to ask is, what is your book about? Oh, thank you. Well, Ask Sophie, the Startup Founder's <laughs> Guide to Visas and Green Cards. Already a bestseller. I'm very proud. Um, thank you for everybody who bought it. But it is my first book, and it's inspired by my TechCrunch column where readers write in, and every week I answer some of their questions on how to navigate specific immigration situations. Mm-hmm. And But I, it's all new content. I wrote the whole thing from scratch, and it basically is a – choose your own adventure guide with uh, charts where you can map out your immigration journey as an aspiring startup founder. So um, you get to choose where you start. So if you're outside the U.S., you go to that thing. If you're inside the U.S., as a student, you start in that chapter. If you're here working at a fang company, you start there. And then it tells you how to navigate to the different sections to figure out the fastest way to get a work visa to build your startup and then how to get your own green card by yourself uh, without marriage, without investment, without a company, just based on your own accomplishments and potential. Um, So I'm really proud of it. It was a huge project and I feel like it really encapsulates, you know, those most, those most frequently asked questions that founders um, ask me when we're doing consultations one-on-one and 
also it can help, you know, if when you're raising and now it's time to hire, like how you navigate immigration for your future colleagues as well, because that's super critical in a startup. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So let's just dive into the meat of it all. What are the different avenues for uh, immigration for founders? Great. So first you have to figure out how soon you need to get to the United States. And and most people mm-hmm. like needed to be here yesterday. So you know, occasionally there's people who are abroad where it's like, oh yeah, I could wait two, three years and get green cards for my wife and my kids. And then we'll all move. And then my kids will get in-state tuition because they're in high school now and they want to go to college. So like, yeah, you could get a green card in a few years being in another country. But if it makes sense for your startup, like if your business needs you to be in the United States, you probably, Mm -hmm. your business probably also needs you to be in the United States now, like not in three years. So Mm -hmm. then it becomes a function of, okay, what do we have to do to get you status as quickly as possible? So, um, so there's different routes. I would say the main things are like students, when they, before they graduate, how can they work legally on a, on a project, um, Mm -hmm. after they graduate, it's pretty easy to get regular OPT to build their companies, but then how can they prepare for like an O-1 visa for extraordinary ability so they don't have to do the STEM OPT requirements and to try to fast track a green card. Um, A lot of my clients are on H-1Bs from India and China working at big tech companies. And so for them, it's like, well, God, okay, I'm just in this H-1B thing. How do I self-petition a green card to get a priority date faster? And even if I you know, can't do EB1 yet. Maybe I can do an EB2 national interest waiver green card now to lock in my date and therefore my turn in line. And later I can figure out how to get to the front of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different pathways, but I would say the trend from the last few years since the Trump era and since the pandemic is that the government has tried really hard to speed up their processing times. There were mm-hmm. huge backlogs. It was totally insane. But U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services and the Department of State have done a lot to improve the speed of processing. So for most people in most countries in the world, if if you qualify, it usually takes about three to four weeks to get a work visa interview at a consulate abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be many months of prep work in advance of that, but it's possible to come to the United States now. And I feel like it really wasn't for several years. So that's an Mm -hmm. exciting trend to allow more global mobility for people. What did they change? I know they were, especially the immigration services were strapped with bandwidth, right? But Mm -hmm. what did they integrate technology or processes or what was the change? Mm, They were understaffed. Yeah. Uh, because a lot, like in the State Department, um, a lot of consular officers that had been working for a long time who disagreed with Trump policies um, chose that as their moment to resign and get their retirement because they didn't want to keep sticking around. So they were understaffed mm-hmm. before the pandemic and they didn't really try very hard to restaff because they kind mm-hmm. of liked being understaffed from a political standpoint. In the pandemic, there was just this you know, tons of people who got stuck here as students and visitors. So all of their applications got filed with USCIS and that became insane. So they've been A, hiring a lot, B, I think reimagining a lot of their internal systems and procedures to streamline things. But Mm -hmm. C, they got 
USCIS got additional funding from Congress to stay afloat after the pandemic. And normally they're just self-funded from everybody's filing fees. Um, so it's very, it's a very different, difficult, um, you know, eking out the additional efficiencies to have extra excess cash to be able to bring premium processing online. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they have made premium processing available for a lot of, uh, case types that didn't previously have it. So most notably students now for their work permits, um, can now use a online processing and B premium processing to make it go really fast. They also added premium processing for more types of work visas and green cards. And so not everybody gets a 15 day response. Some people get 45 day responses. It's usually $2,500. Um, but it saves people months and it gives them tons of excess revenue. And before the congressional grant of funding, they were just in a chicken and egg situation where they didn't, they couldn't afford to hire enough people to staff up to be ready for the influx of premium processing applications. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that extra cash allowed them to start hiring before they could start collecting fees. So that's mm-hmm. been very, very helpful for so many people. Yeah, it really, really makes a huge difference for personal family companies that they're starting to. (laughs) If you're waiting for this thing, I feel like psychologically you either have you either do. Okay, how should I say this? Um, The traits that allow most aspiring founders to eventually be successful tend to include, you know, grit, perseverance, determination. Mm -hmm but also a fair amount of anxiety, right? And maybe anger because you just want to like force the world to your will or something and like hit things with the simple stick, like Steve Jobs, something like that, right? So then you have all these feelings, but then you're in this like existential weight, which is foundational to your sense of security and your possibilities for your life. So the stakes are really high and all of the startup uh, materials say, you know, you know, start, start small scale, just make one thing that people are willing to pay for, iterate quickly, you know, build, go, fail fast, you know, 80-20 rule, all of that. But like, mm-hmm. you, you don't really want to have the same approach with law. Yeah. <laughs> or, just or your legal status in a place. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then like, you know, people either just like have a tendency in order to make peace with it, like, if you're meditating every day, you know, congratulations to you. That's wonderful. But a lot of people end up uh, just like tuning out and then they procrastinate a lot, but it's, it's like too anxiety ridden to deal with it. So they kind of like stick their head under a rock. Mm-hmm. So that's one approach. Another, and I'm not recommending these, another approach is like anger and anxiety and getting triggered all the time, which is also yeah. not really helpful. But the point is, having premium processing makes a huge difference for so many people because, and and that's another thing I would actually love to share. I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, There's this thing that the Supreme court had to figure out when they were first taking up cases related to pregnancy and abortion. And they had to make an argument for why they could even listen to the cases. And so 
they decided that they had jurisdiction even if the nine months of the pregnancy had ended because this was a situation that was capable of repetition yet evading review. And I remember learning those words in law school and I just looked them up like a couple days ago. And I feel like that's the thing for immigrant founders. Like everything everybody goes through is capable of repetition yet evading review. And so there's so that's why I'm so glad for podcasts like this and things that that help you realize that you're not in it alone. It's it's not just capable of repetition. Like thousands, tens of thousands of people are, you know, aspiring founders, hundreds of I don't know. And 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 everybody is feeling this way and it evades review because you know, like in the layoffs, the tech layoffs a year ago, you know, no immigrant wants to be like I lost my job. I'm worried about my status. Let me tell you, reporter, how awful the situation is. Because A, mm -hmm. you're worried, how are you going to get a new job? And B, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. And you're waiting for the government to give you your visa. And you don't want to complain about mm -hmm. how messed up the system is publicly. So it's like, it's a really huge problem, but people are are not incentivized to talk about it. So you end up feeling really lonely and anxious. So um just want to put that out there that you're not alone. It's okay to feel feelings about this. People get super stressed and freaked out about this all the time. Um, and it is good to have that community of support where you can, you know, share what's going on with trusted friends and advisors and get the support you need because it is very, it is stressful. And, and, and so just know that and be able, it'll help you, you know, deal with it effectively when it comes up. Yeah, it's so true because with foreign founders, I've been able to meet a lot of immigrant founders. And one of the things I hear is like, oh, actually with my startup stuff, I can always, I have friends who are founders. So I can ask like, you know, how do you deal with X, Y, Z? But a lot of them are like, I just don't have like a network of immigrants who are also doing the same process. Yeah. And the, the ability to ask really like specific questions that immigrants deal with yeah. is really hard to do because uh, like even for me, when I'm going out and finding guests, maybe it's, it's very hard. hard to figure it's out hard. who are, who's an immigrant founder or not. They want to show, share their story before <laughs> yeah. they have citizenship. And then you're yeah. like, well, that was 15 years ago. Thanks. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh. Going back to, <laughs> Going back to what you were saying about like, there's so many different paths. It's just like the first question that you want to answer is a timeline. Mm. Um, and then you mentioned something along the lines of like F1 visa, people are like doing projects here and there. Can you yeah. start your startup on an F1? Under some circumstances, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is weird too. This is like why yeah. people don't talk to their schools about it because they're like, oh crap, if I admit to my school that I have this desire, will, will they assume that I've been working illegally and will they end my status abruptly? Mm -hmm. um, so people are often cautious, which is great. You know, in having a lawyer, you have attorney-client privilege and it's, everything is confidential. So that's really helpful. Um, but it makes it hard to just, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book and I think it covers a lot of the questions. But um, so let's just take international students on F-1 visas. If you are in the first year of your program, you're probably not going to find any way to work. Um, <laughs> if you have like emergency financial hardship, you can apply for a work permit at some point, but you have to have a lot of evidence of the situation and what's going on and why. It's not just <laughs> like, oh, it would be nice to have a company. It's like, oh, these are the medical bills I have to pay or something, something like that. Um, before you graduate, there are two types of 
work authorization that you can get. One is curricular practical training. The other is optional practical training. Mm -hmm. And um, they have different limits for like part-time and how much you can use. And so you have to navigate those very carefully. Um, the, The reason being you don't want to give up your rights to post-completion OPT and STEM OPT. And so part of the strategy is also just um, choosing a STEM major. Like I've even talked to international students within the last few years that are like, oh, I didn't know that being an English major would not mean that I couldn't work in the hedge fund after. And I'm like, yeah, actually, like I'm sorry you didn't get the memo. Um, but only certain majors qualify for the two-year STEM extension. And so like if you use um, – pre-completion OPT up, then you you lose the right to regular OPT. And if you don't have regular OPT, you can't apply for the STEM OPT extension. So mm-hmm. um, you have to be you have to be super careful. And then there's also a difference between regular OPT, you can just be self-employed um, <clears throat> or volunteer. There's no minimum wage or hours requirements. But then when you go into the STEM OPT extension, you need a training club plan. You have to work at least 20 hours a week. The company has to be enrolled in E-Verify. Um, you need to make you know, a certain wage. You have to have a supervision. And then it becomes this complicated dance if you want to be um, if you want to be the CEO of your company, like who's supervising you and helping you grow in your academic field. So um it's very complicated. Um, and, and, and just specifically there, uh, the impact of pre-completion OPT on requests for post-completion OPT, it's like a six-month reduction. So, mm-hmm. or uh, I'll just read the example. If you've already received one year of part-time, 20-hour per, per week pre-completion OPT, the total time of full-time OPT still available would be reduced by six months. So 50% of the previously authorized year at the same education level. In this scenario, you'd only be entitled to a remaining period of six months of full-time post-completion OPT employment authorization. Mm -hmm. And if you've used, you know, a full year pre-completion at at full-time, then you lose your entire regular OPT. Um, So you just want to be careful. Like back in the day, before the e-filing, when it was taking four to six months to get a work permit, many university international student officials were recommending to make sure you had at least four to six months of regular OPT left to have enough time to process the STEM OPT, to A, get the EAD, and B, process the STEM extension. Yeah. Um, you could probably get away with less now since there's e-filing and premium processing, but you definitely want like a good solid two months at least. You don't want to leave it the last minute, basically. Um, So that's on the student side. How about people who are on H-1Bs, as an example, working for a company and potentially moonlighting? What are some of the things that they should be aware of? Yeah, they have to be really careful um, for two reasons. One, immigration and two, intellectual property. And I'm not, uh, I'm not an IP lawyer, but when you're working at a big company or any company, um, you may have signed documents in your onboarding and that say, you know, anything you create during the term of your employment belongs to the company. So that's, that's one 
hurdle to clear. And depending on what state you're in and what specific documents you signed, you know, it's different. Um, You could talk to an employment attorney or an IP attorney for like a specific consultation on like, oh, I work at an education tech company and at night I'm building um, a har- hardware assistive physical therapy device that, you know, and they're, they're probably, it's totally different. You're not using company resources and it's fine, mm-hmm. but you want to really like take a look at that before you incorporate or raise funding or code or whatever it is you're doing. So assuming that you feel confident about navigating the IP logistics for your individual situation, then the next thing would be, okay, well, how do you, what is work and how do you work legally on this? And so one option is you're allowed to have more than one job on H-1B. You can actually get two concurrent H-1Bs. One can be full-time, one could be part-time, two could be part-time. So like if somebody's already doing a 40-hour-a-week job, it's pretty easy for them to get a five to 10-hour-a-week concurrent H-1B for a second job. Mm-hmm. Um, I often, my clients want to know, like, when would my day job company find out? And I'm like, well, when they have to do an H-1B extension or, you know, when they're reaching certain phases of the green card process for you. Okay. Um, so, and then, and then there's this other thing that happens where founders have been doing all the negotiations and talking with investors and all of a sudden they're like, oh, this major VC is writing a $5 million check or wire transfer and the money's going to arrive in the account in two weeks. So we have to incorporate and we need a bank account because we got to receive this money. I'm like, oh, okay. So in that situation, people often, because they're confident about their future, right? So they just would typically... um you know, immediately give notice at their day job, mm-hmm. two weeks or whatever, and then we would file an H-1B transfer to the startup yeah. right away. And things are getting better for founders, for H-1Bs, especially for like C-suite and people with the majority equity. USCIS looks like they're changing their guidance now, so it may be easier. People might not have to give up as much control or, you know, to board oversight um, or dilute their shares as early to comply with H-1B requirements as they used to. So you could potentially be like a majority H-1B owner on payroll, and that might be sufficient um, to get your visa. The U.S., I think you you also mentioned it in the start of your book, is has always been a place for immigrants to come here and build, right? And uh, like any startup, if you're in, if you're incumbent and getting a lot of pressure, like startup pressures from countries around the world, jurisdictions around the world who are attracting also global talent, what you're saying about, oh, things are getting better with e-filing or like mm-hmm. premium processing and all these things. I think we're just getting here in the U.S., getting a lot of looking behind us and seeing people, you know, catch up to us. And I think that has been a really fascinating change in the last like decade or two. It's just like all these places like Canada, just a couple months ago announcing that, you know, H1B, you can roll it over to their work permit super easily. And then they have all these like status for startups to say, Hey, if you can't get, you know, founders, if you can't get any visa in the U S just come up to Canada and then we'll help you process those. Um, I think the individual visa situations, two things. First, they should always talk to, founders should always talk to immigration lawyers like yourself. And then the second thing is there's a lot more details that we can't cover in this conversation that's available in your book. 
Um, but what are some things where you think U.S. can be a lot more competitive to attract founders and entrepreneurs? Well, we are resting on our laurels of our economy and inventing venture capital and this like, you know, decades uh, old compounding interest in the ecosystem that has been created here. So uh, as a country, we're very fortunate that despite our immigration system, founders still often want to come here, but not always, right? Um, I mean, you can even see it with international students. Uh, the U.S. is using its like market share of attracting international students in the world. More, more people from India are going to Canada, for example. So we mm -hmm. still have like a million plus and it's growing, but decreasing. Um, other countries give you a visa quickly. They have a clear category. They have... Uh, funds they will give you a grant that you don't have to pay back there might be tax incentives they have uh like diplomatic and trade officers stationed in hubs like san francisco and la whose job is literally just to meet with founders and be like mm -hmm. oh would you like to open an office in this country here's all the incentives we can give you yeah. uh, we'll give you a whole workforce right i heard so netherlands was like a huge place yeah. Um, for tech, right? Yeah, there's so yeah. well, there's so many global tech hubs, and um, I mean, my my thing, like I love America, and I want it to succeed and to continue succeeding, and be more deliberate about taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. Like, there's such low hanging fruit. Create mm -hmm. a startup visa. Oh my god, you know, um, that that's like. That would be amazing. Or yeah. speed up processing for international entrepreneur parole. I'm such a fan of it, but my clients have not gotten decisions in their cases for two years. So it's insane. Yeah. Um, so there's all these, like, we don't have to write checks to founders, you know, <laughs> having freedom and no corruption is like an amazing thing that has, mm -hmm. a, that comes with a value if you can get here. And, yeah. and there's other amazing cities around the world that have incredible tech hubs. And so it might make sense for your industry or vertical to go there. Right. But, mm -hmm. um, I think it's been, it's been very frustrating because I've been lobbying on this. I got to help write the like act, which representative Lofgren introduced and it got pa passed by the house in the America competes act, but it got left out by the Senate in the chips and sciences, and what did the act do? It was a startup visa. It was another start visa. A startup visa. And I was like, yeah. oh, unlimited work authorization for spouses. Let's add that in. Why not? Right? And it yeah. was so easy to draft a new law that would have been an amazing program. Like yeah. required premium processing. Uh, you know, like so many things we could have done um, at a very like tactical, pragmatic level of like how the programs are implemented. Um but we are just in this situation politically as a country where um, I think that lawmakers need improv training <laughs> because I think they're really – I've been trying to trace it back, like the incentives and stuff and why we can't get anything moving forward. 
And I think everybody wants immigrant entrepreneurs. So it's sort of like a bargaining chip, right? Of like, mm-hmm. well, when I get my thing for this population, then you can have your, you know, foreign founders create billions. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of like that. But it's also that they don't want to deal with um, super vocal resistance when they have to go home for town halls. And like, if people stand up in the audience and they're like, you were helping immigrants. How dare you? You know, they, yeah. they're like on the spot and they have to think of what to say. So that's why I was thinking of like improv training for all legislators. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy because like the, the SMBs, founders, entrepreneurs of all kinds are, are, employ a lot of people. And if you yeah. just even remove like immigrants, like uh, having more entrepreneurs is a net good. You would for, think. Right. Even the taxes being paid yeah. um, or the job creation. I mean, one of these one of these ideas that keeps cropping up is like, what if we did a global business plan upload where like, you know, you want to have your company in West Virginia and you're going to create 23 jobs in 2024 and then 100 jobs by 2026. Like, let's upload that business plan as a letter to that, you know, Senator. And, um, who cares if you live in Kenya? Um, you know, we want that person to see that, that there is this potential if we did a specific thing. So I don't know, I'm always talking to people trying to figure out the right timing and how to, how to get that through. Um, one of these days. Yeah, one of these days. I feel like we can have a lot more of these conversations, Sophie, but we're coming to, <laughs> there's like so much to cover, but we're coming to the end. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of the low-hanging fruit. Um, for the last couple of questions, I would love to ask about like what, Startup Visa is one of those, but what else do you think are really low-hanging fruit for like entrepreneurs and um, founders, immigrant founders? Like what could you access or what should the government do? Um what what should the government do i think what uh you know the the founders can access is probably something that they need like situational that they can talk to yeah Uh, (laughs) well you know i really love the proposal for unlimited green cards Mm -hmm. once you get a phd in a stem field from a u.s university so Hmm. that would be incredible you know i think we should change F1 student visas to be dual intent instead of non-immigrant intent so that more people can get them and you don't have to promise to leave at the end of your program. I think it's really dumb that we still What's the dual intent? Promise that. It's like an H1B. It's just basically saying, "Hey, look, you can want you can it's okay if you want to stay in the US forever or you yeah. can leave. Either one is fine, but you don't have to go through this song and dance pretending that you have enough money back home and that your life dream is really to return to your family's farm in Indonesia." and create your startup there. Right. So, you know, um, and, uh, let's see. I mean, another idea that I heard somebody say was like, what if you just copied Google's AdWords model and it was just live auction pricing and anybody can pay for anybody's visa and it's supply and demand. And that's the price for a visa today. If you want it, buy it, you know, that, that would be fascinating, right? I don't think we could implement that in the foreseeable future, but that would solve a lot of things, you know? Yeah. That seems like a super complex system, but a really interesting idea for sure. (laughs) Um, 
or even just the the ability, you know, to have like in Canada, they have a, a points based system, and they also have like an, a commission model. So basically, really smart people get to be like, oh, we see a labor shortage in our economy in this section where we would like to be have more growth. So therefore, we need to authorize so and so many people in this subfield to come here. Like mm-hmm. that'd be amazing. We have the weirdest things. Like we have like like 50 special education visas baked into the statute and like a clause for sheep herders um, to get their special visas and like (laughs) models have their own carve out, right? So it's like very... (laughs) These laws are very like Totally different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you want to do a sheep herding app, maybe you could get a shepherd visa, whatever that is. I mean, maybe that's uh, that's an opportunity for people to create to be like, hey, these are ways to. I mean, we can know, do like IoT. We can like monitor the sheep's moods. We can have generative AI like take their brain waves and translate it into human speech, so you know how your sheep are feeling. So we can just have AI like sheep herders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my closing question um, is: What are you optimistic about? Oh, I'm optimistic about so many things. I am an eternal optimist or else I don't know how I would keep going. But I am so optimistic because I get, I just get so inspired every day by the founders I get to meet and by hearing incredible ideas that they have that are still super stealth mode and I have to keep them confidential. But like just incredible to see how dedicated people are, how passionate people are, what big hearts people have, how they're so smart about thinking how to create economic incentives to make it easier for the world to be a better place, you know, in, Mm -hmm. in more, more health, more abundance, more love, more happiness, more self-fulfillment. Like those are things that all humans want. And I'm just so inspired by the amazing people I get to meet who are so focused on, on whatever their one thing is. Right. And it's all just a tiny piece of the whole puzzle, but um, seeing that tapestry and how it's being woven is is incredible. So I have a ton of hope for the future because I get to meet brilliant people who really passionately care about making the world a better place all the time. Yeah, it's the best place to be is to be engaged with all those people. Um, thank you so much just uh, for you know joining joining the show and sharing a little bit of like about yourself and also your book. Everyone go and buy Sophie's book, Ask Sophie. Um, where can, if people want to reach out to you or find more information, uh, where do you want to direct them? Thank you so much. Our website is www.alcorn.law. We have a contact us button on the homepage. And that's where you can put in your name and your email and a little bit about your situation. And we'll send you our questionnaire. And then we will direct you to resources and Um, we offer consultations and we'll be happy to give you, uh, your, a sense, a sense of your options to know, you know, what the path is ahead, what is your best strategy, how much does it cost? How long does it take all of that? So yeah, you're welcome to reach out. Thank you so much, Andy, for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this valuable, You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast app. One more thing, Foreign Founders is a new podcast, so please consider leaving a rating or review. That helps more people find the show. See you on the next episode.